Trades Work, the Rocky Mountain Mechanical Contractors Association podcast starts right now. Here's your host, Dave DeVito. Welcome to Trades Work, the Rocky Mountain Mechanical Contractors Association podcast. We showcase the skilled trades our society depends on, the women and men of our industry building our skylines, building our communities, building our future. Our show starts now. As you may have heard, there was an election this month. Coloradans went to the polls to cast ballots for U.S. Senate, Congress, the Governor, Attorney General, Secretary of State, State Treasurer, State Legislators, and a slew of local officials and a host of ballot questions. Needless to say, it was a long ballot. I know for me in Denver, that was four pages front and back. Sorting out the results and impacts on our world is a big job. And fortunately, today we're joined by Jennifer Brandeberry and Julie McKenna, founders of Brandeberry McKenna Public Affairs, or BBMK for short. For almost two decades, BBMK has successfully navigated Colorado's legislative and political environments. In other words, they have seen it all. They have a history of lobbying the General Assembly on a wide range of issues. We are fortunate to count BBMK on our team as our lobbyists. Jennifer and Julie represent the Rocky Mountain Mechanical Contractors Association at the state capitol, and I advocate on behalf of our members on a wide range of issues that impact our industry, business, and our members. Jennifer and Julie, welcome to the show. Thank you, Dave, and uh, it is an honor to represent you all at the capitol. So let's jump in here. Uh, and I know that uh, I've gotten the pleasure of working with you prior to uh, you joining our team here. Uh, I've watched and admired your work for a number of years. Uh, and definitely uh, we feel very fortunate to count you, as I said, on our team, but have your expertise at the Capitol. For the last couple of weeks, we've heard about this red wave or or uh, it's been described as the sea change that we might see in political parties. Not necessarily here locally, but definitely nationally. You know, we know what the top line results are. There's still ballots being counted and races too tight to call. Uh, can you tell us what happened uh, in the state this year from your perspective and, you know, what we can expect to see kind of uh, in the coming months? Sure. As you mentioned, Dave, I think the expectations, at least nationwide and certainly here, were of a red wave and the best chance of the Republicans here in Colorado to potentially take one chamber, the Senate chamber. There were seven competitive seats up, uh, really good candidates recruited by the Republicans in both the House and the Senate. So I'd say conventional wisdom was that the Republicans were poised to at least gain seats, if not potentially even the majority in the Senate was the hope earlier this summer. I think what happened um, nationally and here in Colorado certainly were concerns initially about the economy, low ratings for Biden, turned to concerns over the Supreme Court decision overturning Roe v. Wade. Colorado, you know, our economy just is doing better than other economies in other states. And while crime continued to be an issue, I think the really the issue top of mind going into these elections were a reaction, an adverse reaction to the Trump candidates out there. You saw that in the Lauren Boebert race. Um, that still is too close to call. 
So what ended up translating here into a potential pickup by Republicans of a chamber, what was really kind of not considered by most people, Republicans lost. They went down. They had a 20 to 15 margin with the Democrats controlling the Senate. And that is now probably 23 to 12. And in the House, it had been 41 to 24. We're now probably 46 to 19. Uh, so it was a significant change from what was anticipated uh, to have happened. So you said something early in your comments, uh, Julie. There are seven competitive seats out of 100. Did I get that right? In the Senate. There were oh, competitive okay. House seats as well. And those competitive seats were not won by Republicans. And in fact, seats in the House that we thought were going to be safe in the Republican column were unexpectedly won by Democratic candidates. Well, that helps kind of frame kind of where we're at and where we may head. So let me ask this of you, Jennifer. What what do you think this means for Coloradans and the construction industry as a whole? I think it means that we're going to have a busy legislative session. Given these large um, Democratic majorities, I think we'll see a push um, from kind of trade trade associations and groups associated with the Democratic Party. So I think um, legal liability issues, because the trial lawyers are large funders of the Democrats, the environmental community, I think is very going to be very, very engaged. And we've seen a lot of that in the past three years. Also, potentially um, unions in terms of we saw a big battle last year um, on collective bargaining. And I think the issue of independent contractors and um, those types of issues that the labor unions are gearing up to, to, I think, make some potential attempts to have some big changes. I think the other thing that's important to note is the state budget is very limited based on our Constitution and also based on what's happening most likely at the ballot box as it pertains to a couple of initiatives. There'll be less money coming into the state. And given that we are a Tabor state and we have to do a balanced budget, a lot of the ideas that some of these groups have, if they cost a lot of money and they're not completely supported by the administration, um, I think that they will die of death in appropriations. But for our industry, I think workers' issues are going to be important. The budget's still important. Housing is going to be front and center for this administration and some of the Democrats and how those policies play out. I think will be interesting to see how it impacts both positively and negatively for for our folks. Well, uh, I guess uh, what you're telling me is you guys are going to earn your keep this year. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> We're so, never bored. Yeah. So uh, give us your insights and predictions on leadership. Uh, we know that some of those elections are being held uh, actually today, the day of our taping. Uh, but what do you what do you expect from you know House and Senate leadership, and what does that set up as a conversation for 2023? Sure. Well, I don't have to speculate, which is great because three of the caucuses have already met and nominated their leaders, and I'm not too not too many surprises in the House Republican caucus, which is very very small, and of course very sadly um, with the passing of Representative McKean prior to the election. Um, there was a lot of conversation about who was going to take that role, those the, those leadership roles. And so Mike Lynch is officially the uh, minority leader of the House Caucus. Freshman Rose Puglisi is the assistant minority leader. 
uh, Richard Holtorf um, will be the whip, and they did um, elect um, Bockenfeld to go over to the Joint Budget Committee. So big change on the Budget Committee for them. Um, as you recall, Kim Ranson had been there for, for quite a while. So new team, pretty much all brand new in the House Republican Caucus. In the Senate, the majority party, not a lot of changes. Fenberg remains president of the Senate, Moreno, majority leader. Julie Gonzalez will be um, the assistant, I always get the titles wrong, minority leader. She challenged uh, Senator Rhonda Fields. So she will be moving into that seat and then the caucus chair will be James Coleman. So again, some new faces, but not folks we're unfamiliar with. And then on the budget committee, as you know, um, Senator Hansen has been on the budget committee, but he's likely to announce at some point a, a run for Denver mayor. So the two members of the JBC from the Senate Majority Caucus will be Senator Jeff Bridges and Senator Zenzinger, who was also on last year. Then finally in the Senate Caucus, they just completed their elections. Uh, the Senate Republicans, uh, Lundeen will be the minority leader. Uh, Senator Gardner will be the assistant minority leader. And Barb Kirkmeyer, who as you recall, ran for Congressional District 8. She conceded in a very gracious, professional way last night to Yadira Caraveo. She will be the caucus chair for the Senate um, Republicans. Going to the JBC is it's Rankin and potentially Smallwood if Rankin would retire, I think is how I'm interpreting that. But don't quote me um, yet because I think that's all still being sorted out. The big question and the fun one to come will be this uh, House Democratic leadership um, election, which will be later this afternoon. And there's two really factions running. One ticket is is kind of rumored to be Julie McCluskey from Summit County, who was on the budget committee, along with Monica Duran for majority leader and Judy Amabile as the assistant. I think that's a, a women ticket that might be perceived by some in the caucus as more moderate. I think all of us that have worked down there see them as true liberal Democrats. But given the big shift, there's a whole group of new folks that are probably a little left of that group that are interested in running. And that would be a ticket of Chris Kennedy, uh, Mike Weissman potentially for majority leader, and Jennifer Bacon as the whip. I think some of that, and then Adrian Benavides, Democrat, has also thrown her name in and, and actively campaigned with members uh, for her desire to become speaker. Likely guess on Julie's and my part is that that vote will go to a runoff and then we'll see what happens. So you may see some version of those uh, two tickets come together uh, in a runoff later this afternoon. And again, very interesting on the budget committee for the House, because if Julie does become speaker, there'll be two openings um, potentially on the JBC. Senate, uh, Representative Harrod is also rumored to run for mayor. And I think the conventional wisdom is she hasn't decided if she wants to say on the JBC or not. So um, plenty of uh, things to work out, and let alone the fact that some of the races, a handful, still are too close to call. That's a lot of moving parts uh, in the <laughs> yes. business community, uh, at least the employers, uh, certainty in uh, budget schedule, uh, pricing, things like that is all kind of what we uh, rely on. And uh, so we'll look to you to help help us navigate this year for sure. And I'd be remiss if I didn't take a moment and acknowledge um, 
Hugh McKean, whether you aligned with his politics or not, you cannot deny the passion that man had for Colorado and uh, his unwavering uh, commitment to help, uh, no matter what the cause was. He just, he had a big heart and he was a good man. And, you know, we're going to really miss him this next year. And uh, so, all right, so let's talk a little bit about the ballot issues. If you weren't confused on the election results, I think the ballot initiatives uh, may have uh, you know, a little overwhelmed how Colorado voters uh, looked at these. So uh, I don't know, uh, Julie or Jennifer, who wants to go first, uh, if you both want to chime in, um, but interested to hear what your take on what happened was. It was an interesting um, result as well. I think also unexpected Uh if you just as an outsider look at, we had the approval of mushrooms, psychedelic mushrooms on the ballot, along with three initiatives that dealt with expansion of liquor licenses, wine and grocery stores, additional uh, licenses for establishments and delivery of alcohol. It looks that two of those th- of the three alcohol initiatives will be defeated. Maybe wine and grocery stores passes, but that's still uncertain at this time. Yet the approval of the use of psychedelic mushrooms did pass. So that's kind of an interesting message that I'm not sure from a public safety standpoint what that says. I think there will be many of the pundits out there that will try and interpret what Coloradans are saying with that that result between those initiatives. The other um, real interesting primary ballot measures that were out there Uh, 123 was the affordable housing measure, and I think that still um, at this time is too close to call, but it looks to be um, one that will pass that really further dictates how dollars in the state budget will be allocated. Sets aside a certain amount, it appears to be about 300 million in this next year to go toward affordable housing, down payment assistance, construction, those types of things. So that further constrains joint budget committee members' ability to develop their own budget and put their own priorities in place. That coupled with another initiative, um, 121, that reduced the uh, rate of the state income tax from 4.5 to 4.4 or thereabouts approximately, further constricts um, the funds that are available for uh, legislators to allocate to their projects. So really, I think what we see, uh, this is a really important uh, factor in the overall trajectory of the legislative branch, because it looks like that will be the only constraint on what legislative proposals will move forward in a progressively leaning legislative session coming up. The money won't be there to spend and really expand certain programs that legislators may be interested in advancing next year. Definitely. And I think that, you know, if you look at the fact that not only do we have wider margins grow in the House and Senate at the state level, we also retained all the top leadership uh, in this state uh, from a from a Democratic perspective. I don't think anybody uh, doubted that uh, Polis was going to be a strong candidate this this year. So it's going to be interesting to see how this all unfolds and how policy gets set with wider margins. And um, it's going to be definitely uh, incumbent upon all of us businesses and business leaders to engage in the conversation and make sure that we 
we understand what is happening uh, from a policy debate discussion uh, and, um, you know, engage to make sure that the voices are heard. So I know from our perspective, we're going to, we're grateful to have you two and Megan on our team. Uh, Megan has provided us with kind of a recap first draft of, you know, some of what we've talked about today, but also some other details further in the weeds. And we'll have that available to our members uh, on our website. If folks wanted to learn more, um, you know, where can they go? Dave, I think you have suggested the the best resources there available on your website. You have a fabulous team that we rely on heavily, and I think we work together well to answer any questions that might be out there or provide additional resources, and we're happy to do so. So I guess my last question, I have two last questions. Uh, Last question is, you've talked a little bit about kind of what we can expect from the legislature uh, as I mentioned, uh, you know, the governor was a real strong candidate this year and, you know, he's got priorities. So tell us, talk to us a little bit about his priorities and do those complement or uh, contradict what you're thinking we'll see out of the legislature? The governor gave us a little bit of a preview when he presented the budget to the past joint budget committee prior to the election. And he really highlighted, I think, the reality. Again, he's a very active governor. He, unlike other governors, really weighs in on lots and lots of issues. So his budget is the best kind of forecasting we have. And then just some of the language he used out on the campaign trail. But I think we can expect a lot of emphasis and leadership from the first floor on the issues of affordable housing and public safety, as well as water. And again, I think that budget, we've alluded to it a couple of times, when you have limited funds, He's going to hold a lot of keys to kind of how things end up come May. And I think for us um, as a team at RMCC that we really need to be strategic about the battles we pick and work together to make sure when we have opportunities to be aligned with the administration to to get ourselves aligned, because I'm not so sure that we wouldn't be on a handful of of issues. And leadership in the Senate in particular tends to, to really view their role as leaders in the Senate as the helpers of getting their governor's agenda across the finish line. So a lot to be done, as you know, is very busy the first three years and a lot of what he put into place and the Democrat majority then got done is kind of built into the scaffolding of the bureaucracy here. It's definitely grown and they've put um, people in place to continue to build on the programs that they passed their first term in office. I think this term, given the budget limitations, will will be a little more narrow. And I would say affordable housing is going to be top of mind, along with workforce and innovation, two places in which we as an association can engage. Final question. We ask every guest, because we knew when you were going to high school and going to maybe go on to some other uh, career path, or maybe even in junior high, you dreamed to be in something and it likely wasn't a, a lobbyist or a political expert. So uh, I'll start with you first, Jennifer. What was your dream job uh, when you were growing up? I uh, went to college to uh, to be a dance major. And so I I think as a young adult, I really saw myself in the performing arts. And I joke a lot with Julie in the building late at night when things aren't going our way. 
I say to Julie, what do I, what do you say? And she'll go dance, lobbyist dance. And so I, every now and again, I can put out a few little numbers, but um, I, I did have dreams of doing performance, but obviously that I didn't really have the talent. <laughs> so here I am. How about you, Julie? And I have to say, that's kind of what drew us together. I was very specific, however, in my dance aspirations. I was going to be a backup singer, which I have no voice, by the way, a la the Pips, Gladys Knight and the Pips. That was my dream, is to be one of those backups. So I think that's what forms the, the basis <laughs> of our partnership, is that ability to perform and dance and use jazz hands. Which you have to do in the political world. So all good training. Well, I appreciate your time today and I appreciate you sharing a little bit about your personal backgrounds as well. So thank you for joining us all today. Please stay tuned for more industry insights, news and information about the women and men building our communities, building our skylines, building our futures. That concludes today's show. Tradeswork is a production of the Rocky Mountain Mechanical Contractors Association. For more information about our organization, please visit rmmca.org.